Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. And I'm joined, as always, with Eric Eggers, author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. So, Eric, at the end of September, Barack and Michelle Obama participated in the groundbreaking ceremony of the Obama Presidential Center in Chicago. Sounds pretty cool. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, highly effective. You know, have you ever been to one of those groundbreaking ceremonies? No. They have the shovels, right? They had the shovels. I've actually been to one where they gave all the city commissioners in Tallahassee like a hammer and they had them hammer up against the post. And like (laughs) some of the people actually hurt themselves doing it. It's like wildly ineffective. But no, it's a big deal because, you know, it's not just a presidential center, Peter Schweitzer. I think, you know. And typical politician like George Bush, Jimmy Carter, their presidential libraries, you know, okay, that's nice. It's a nice testament to their moment right, in history. Right. But President Obama, it's a little bit different than that. It is. And and if you look at it, it's it's going to have a 280-foot tower, museum tower at the center. And there's going to be some kind of theme there that, that it, it's wrapped with something. What's it wrapped with? Uh, taxpayer dollars. No, not taxpayer <laughs> dollars. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wrapped with donor dollars because the price on this thing has jumped a little bit. I think it was supposed to originally be $500 million, And then, they, you know, it always happens when you have yeah. some construction. And they say, yeah. actually, it's going to be $830 million, a 230-foot 235 foot museum tower uh, and it will be wrapped with the words from one of Barack Obama's speeches of course the 2015 speech uh, on civil rights right, and right. you know like I think I think we we were healed as a nation thanks to the soothing power of President Obama's rhetoric. <laughs> that That's the claim. Of course, you, you hate to break it to people that that speech was, of course, written by speechwriters. But this place is also going to have a branch of the Chicago Public Library. It's actually not going to have a traditional presidential library. They're going to have a great lawn, a children's play area, a fruit and vegetable stand, and a teaching kitchen. I just thought of this, but this is actually pretty cool. So like one benefit of it not being a typical presidential library, but an actual Chicago public library. Yeah. There's a shot that some of your books are going to be in there, <laughs> right? How cool would that be? Like, what if we got some Schweitzer? We'll do a book signing. We'll do a book <laughs> signing at the Obama Center. I love that idea, Eric. So Joe Biden, um, uh, perhaps inspired by Barack Obama, um, declared yep. that, uh, quote, it's not just breaking the ground on a new building. It's breaking ground on the very idea of America as a place of possibilities. I'm so glad we're past the stage of overhyped rhetoric when it comes to President (laughs) Obama. But it's crazy, right? I mean, we were talking about this before. I mean, 2008, President Obama gets elected and it was a different time, but my goodness, like we, it just broke people's brains. We yeah, just, we went yeah. from, hey, this guy, he wasn't just a president, he was a savior, right? right, right. And it wasn't just presidential rhetoric. I mean, look, President Obama gave a good speech, right? Like my yeah, son oh, yeah. actually, my son actually came home the other day and he says he's going to run for, uh, student council in third grade. I was right. like, bro, I got the 2004 DNC address ready to go. You know, <laughs> we got people like apple juice in second grade and we got people like mac and cheese in third grade. That's, Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. But um, 
But it, it, we did seem to treat him in a different way than we treated any other president. Oh, absolutely. And there was a level of detachment and, and flourish. But And people might wonder, why are we on this podcast here in 2021 looking back at Obama? Yeah. And I think it's very, very instructive because what we want to do today is talk about the great Obama corruption scandal that you've never heard of. Now, before we get to that, Eric, I have to ask you a question yep. because we're going to dig deep. We're going to look at the bones and the guts and the organs and the muscle of uh, of this corruption that involves the Obama Center and a Barack Obama's best friend. But before that, let me ask you, when you were in middle school or high school, did you ever dissect a frog? We did. We dissected a frog. And actually, I pulled off uh, one of the great pranks that I stole from a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, dissected a frog. In fact, this girl still lives in town. And yeah, we, uh, we, so you steal a little bit of chicken from lunch, you know? Yeah. And then you keep it in your pocket. <laughs> And then you break it out and you have somebody eat and, you know, acting as if you're eating the frog and the person loses it. We successfully pulled that off. You don't have any chicken in your pocket right now, do you? No, thank you. Stay out of my <laughs> personal life. So we are going to dissect uh, the Barack Obama corrupt money machine. It involves uh, Barack Obama's best friend. I bet a lot of people listening have never heard of this individual. It talks about and it includes the corruption and the use of government power. Barack Obama making his best friend rich and then his best friend uh, helps finance the Obama Center. Yeah, I think that's that's really the point, right? For all the rhetoric, for all the hype that the Obama presidential administration received in hindsight, it was really no different than any other presidential administration. It was rife with dealings and personal enrichment because of personal relationships. And at the end of the day, you're exactly right. The person that raised the most money and the person that helped create and build the Obama Foundation made millions of dollars directly off of Obama presidential policy. That's right. And Barack Obama set this guy up, his best friend, to do it. We're going to explain to you how. So who is this guy? His name is Marty Nesbitt. Uh, he is the chairman of the Obama Foundation. Uh, he's been best friends with Barack Obama uh, for decades. Do you know how they met, Eric? I do believe they played basketball together, Peter Schweitzer. They did. They did. So uh, I know you play basketball, pick up basketball quite a bit. I will note you never asked me to be on your team. It's because I've seen you dream. Yeah, well, <laughs> that that is a problem. I could stand in the post, right? I could just stand in the post. But we should prepare the listeners that we're, you're about to have a bunch of short white guys making lots of basketball references for <laughs> right. the rest of this podcast. Exactly. And they're apropos. There's probably going to be a few alley-oops. Oh, uh, stop a few, it. A few, a few, a few side of hands. I'm assisting you now by telling you to stop. <laughs> so let's begin the story. It starts in the early 1990s. Barack Obama and Marty Nesbitt meet each other on the basketball court. They're both in Chicago. Barack Obama is an aspiring politician. Uh, he wants to, uh, you know, run for the state legislature, probably wants to even then be president of the United States. Just like Lincoln. That's right. Just like Lincoln. And you have Marty Nesbitt, uh, who's a business guy, uh, very smart individual, very savvy with finances. He would end up as Barack Obama, you know, completes this political climb, would end up uh, managing a company that handles a lot of parking lots around Chicago O'Hare Airport, which I imagine you got to have some savvy uh, to make that happen. You don't uh, think you get in the parking lot business in Chicago without a few connections. Yeah, and I think you probably need to have some, you know, protection. I'm thinking that, you know, the old Sean Connery movie, The Untouchables. Yeah, the, it's got yeah. a Teamsters vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, sure. it's got a Teamsters vibe to it, absolutely. So these two are on this trajectory. Uh during the decades before Barack Obama becomes president, the Nesbits and the Obamas, they go on vacation together all the time. These are two fused 
family members. Now, something really interesting happens in November of 2012. That's when Barack Obama is reelected president of the United States. Why is it always the second terms where these things happen? Well, because the first term, people are paying attention. No, that's, right? I think and that's it, true. Yeah, exactly. And it can cost you reelection if this stuff comes out. But it is interesting, right? I mean, all the Hunter Biden stuff sort of happens at the very end, at the beginning, you know, end of the first, beginning of the second Obama administration. Same thing happened for Obama with uh, Marty Nesbitt. That's right. You don't want to do anything that's going to disrupt you keeping power. Yep. But once you've kept power and you can't run again, Mm -hmm. all bets are off. And that's what really happens in this case. So what you have is Barack Obama's reelected president of the United States. In December 2012, Marty Nesbitt, his friend, trademarks a firm called Vistria. And in March of 2013, that firm goes public. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. And in keeping with the Chicago vibe, um, we're going to call this smash and grab. Right. Smash and grab. What do you know what smash and grab is when it happens in an urban environment, Eric? No, because I make it a practice to avoid racially tinged references from the 80s rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing are, to are do. you going to call somebody call... a welfare queen next? <laughs> why, do you, why do you have to go and make this all complicated? That's what Smash. Obama does to people. You know, it's like I, I can't just see him as a president. He's a racial savior. We're so, better than that. now. So smash and grab is what? I mean, in, in you know, the parlance of, of normal everyday crime yeah you see somebody's left their purse or wallet on the front seat of their car you smash the window you grab it and you run right i'm going to argue today and prove today that that's exactly what barack obama and marty nesbitt did but on a grander scale and involved other people's businesses. So, and it's worth pointing out that, like, you do. I mean, I hate to give you any credit whatsoever. But I know that you lit. You did literally write a book about this. Like, I did. You have written a book on this subject. I did. I wrote a number one New York Times bestseller. What a about flex! This. Yes, what a flex! But this is a story <laughs> that I think has gone underreported and underappreciated because it shows how Barack Obama operated and how we are at the point we are today with the Obama Center. So. It's early 2013. Barack Obama's being reelected. His best friend, Marty Nesbitt, has this new business called Vistria. Uh, And what does Barack Obama do? He decides he's going to target certain industries that he doesn't like with regulation. So he's going to go after for-profit colleges. He's going to go after cash advance companies. He says these are unfair. They exploit people. We got to do something about this. And on the surface, right, you could sort of agree with that. You know, student debt remains a problem. was a problem 10 years ago. Sure. So you can understand why these for-profit universities with negligible correlation to viable careers and uh, successful salaries. Okay, we could see maybe we don't want to be super into that. And payday lending, there's some argument to be made they're predatory. And and this was kind of consistent with the whole Consumer Protection Bureau, right, that the Obama administration had launched. That's exactly right. And look, it's like any industry. I think there are for-profit colleges that actually do a pretty good job. Right. Uh, And then there are those that that did a terrible job. But here's where it gets very interesting. So they go after for-profit colleges, including including probably the best known one in the country called the University of Phoenix. Probably see it advertised all the time. Uh, And the Obama administration says the University of Phoenix is harmful to students uh, and they start targeting it. And most importantly, in 2015, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense says you cannot use GI dollars. So many people that enlist in the military get money to go to college. You cannot use GI Bill dollars to attend the University of Phoenix. And it's really a kind of a built-in market for for for-profit universities, right? Because you got people leaving the military, they have money, they want to go to school, and so you have these universities say, hey, we'd love to take your GI Bill. So it's a big deal, right, if the Department of Defense and the Pentagon says, we will no longer give tax dollars for your school. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
right. So what happens? Imagine what happens to the University of Phoenix. They're being told you can't use GI Bill dollars. There's all of a sudden regulation coming. The company, which was valued at $9 billion, drops to about $1 billion. It's a profound decrease. Yeah, huge, huge, big, big, big problem. And, And now here's where it gets really interesting. So... Some of the people involved in pushing this uh, war against for-profit colleges, a guy named Tony Miller, who's the deputy secretary of education. He's the number two guy in Obama's uh, education department. He actually is going after the University of Phoenix, but he leaves and he goes and works with Marty Nesbitt at Vistria. Arnie Duncan, who's the secretary of education, who's leading this war at the University of Phoenix, um, when he leaves the Department of Education, sets up an office at Vistria in Chicago. So we've got the University of Phoenix. It's worth $9 billion. It goes down to $1 billion, and the, the, the business is clearly in trouble. Lo and behold, a investor savior comes to save the company. And who do you think that might be? Warren Buffett. No, not Warren Not Buffett. Warren Buffett. He plays basketball with Obama. Not not Marty Nesbitt. Yeah, it is. It is. Hard to believe it's Marty Nesbitt. And Vistria comes in and buys the University of Phoenix for pennies on the dollar. After the Obama administration had leveraged their ability to create policy to dramatically lower the price of the company. That's correct. So you've got the smash, yep. which is you're going to destroy the valuation of this company. And then you've got the grab by Marty Nesbitt. And then lo and behold, I know it's shocking. When Marty Desmond now owns the <laughs> University of Phoenix, guess what happens? Barack Obama's Department of Defense decides, you know what? The whole thing about the GI Bill not being used at the University of Phoenix, we think they should actually be able to use the GI Bill. We have fewer concerns now. We have fewer concerns. And, and so we we're going we're gonna to restore the ability for tuition to be subsidized by taxpayer dollars. I mean, that's the one piece of leverage that the federal government has, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in retrospect, in this area, you see the Obama administration smashes this company, drives down the valuation. Marty Nesbitt investors buy it for about a billion dollars. The regulatory uh, restrictions on it are lifted. And oh, by the way, those regulatory restrictions destroyed several of the University of Phoenix's com- competitors like Corinthian and other companies. So he set up his best friend to have enormous success in the for-profit education business is smash and grab. And it's the biggest Obama scandal that you have never heard of. Isn't that crazy, right? I mean, to me, that's why we're talking about it this yeah. week is because they just broke ground in the Obama F- Center. Marty Nesbitt helped like, direct all the fundraising efforts for this center. Yeah. He made, he, he literally, uh, his best friend created policies that helped him get a really good deal yeah. on it. And here's what the, my favorite part is, you know, it's like an old Norm MacDonald passed away and is this joke about Bill Cosby, right? He's like, you know, the worst part they say is the hypocrisy. He goes, I don't think the worst thing is the hypocrisy with Bill Clinton. <laughs> right. But I would say with the Bill worst- Cosby. Yeah, yeah. With, with Bill Cosby, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, but the worst part here is the hypocrisy because like the Obama administration is saying, oh, these are terrible industries, right? Yeah, they're exactly. predatory. They're going after these kids. They're right? terrible industries. They're, they're, they're raping people financially and they're making money hand over fist. We want in. Right, and then Nesbitt guy's like, looks good to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but it, it doesn't end with the for-profit colleges. Right. That's not the only way that Marty Nesbitt gets sets up. Which so, your thing is always their safety in numbers, right? Absolutely. So like, yeah, do you want to, okay, if you want to say, hey, it's a coincidence that right. Obama's best friend happened to buy into an industry after the Obama policies dramatically lowered the value of it. And then, oh, by the way, when they rescinded those policies and the value went up, it happened to benefit Obama's best friend. Yeah, maybe that's a coincidence. Right. I mean, it may be if you really want to stretch. Yeah, yeah. Hard to believe. But if you consider that the same thing happened in the sort of short term loan cash advance industry. So this was another one that Obama went after with very specific and precise legislation and regulations that affected the industry in a very precise way. Now, there was one company a lot of the cash events companies struggled. A lot of them went out of business. A lot of them probably should have gone out of the business. But one of them that didn't is a company called Forward Line Financial. In fact, while other businesses were closing, Forward Line was actually booming because the regulations did not affect them the way they affected other companies. Who do you think is the chairman a forward line financial. I'm the worst at this game. Warren Buffett. <laughs> no, it's not Warren Buffett, but nice try. It is Marty Nesbitt. Think basketball, Eric. Think oh, basketball. basketball. The old alley-oop. That's right. The, the old alley-oop. That's right. No, it's Marty Nesbitt. So yeah. here you, again, you have an example of Barack Obama's best friend cashing in courtesy of the regulatory smash that Barack Obama is carrying out. And there are other examples as well. He joins a couple of corporate boards during the Obama administration. Joins right? some corporate boards, joins American Airlines in 2015, joins Norfolk Southern Railroad in 2013. And those just happened to be two industries that had sort of pressing issues yep. in front of the administration. And uh, lo and behold, the Obama administration was able to kind of help bring some regulatory relief for both of those industries. And Martin has made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it's crazy to think how much money you make on these board appointments. Yeah, make huge money. You get stock. Options And by the way, Marty Nisbet, again, very smart businessman, but he has no background in railroads. He has no background in American Airlines. I mean, he does own parking lot companies connected to O'Hare Airport, yeah. but he has, he has no background in either of those industries. He's put on the board of directors. Why? I would argue because his best friend was president of the United States who was threatening to regulate those industries at that very time. It is interesting that the Hunter Biden parallels, you hadn't thought about this before we started talking about it, but yeah, I mean, Hunter Biden also added to the board, right, of a railroad company because, uh, as, as they said at the time, you know, he, he'd ridden railroads. <laughs> That's but right. you're right. No, because there was the Obama administration was there was rumors and there's threatening regulation for both those industries. Nesbitt gets added to the board. Both the, the presumed or projected regulations go away. That's right. That's right. Now, now I'm. Uh, you know, significantly older than you. Yes. But did you ever watch Magnum P.I.? When All the time. Yeah. Like Magnum during, during the summertime, because, you know, while I may be dramatically younger than you, I had absentee parents. Right. So I had <laughs> a lot of time to be home in front of the television during the day in the summertime watching the old Magnum P.I. shows. So so we've explained how Barack Obama, president of the United States, set up his best friend, Marty Nesbitt, to cash in big time with this smash and grab strategy. But now we're going to talk a little bit about Marty Nesbitt doing favors for Barack Obama in return. And the first one is in 2015. I, there's a reason I mentioned Magnum P.I. Because in 2015, Marty Nesbitt, he's now flush with cash, yep. right? He's, he's, he's cashed in. And <laughs> the Obama years have been good to him. <laughs> I'm just exactly. laughing, thinking like, I'm glad everything worked out for Marty Nesbitt. But what if somebody's <laughs> listening to this and like they were heavy in payday loans <laughs> right, and, right. and for-profit universities. <laughs> right. They're just so mad right oh, now. Yeah. And, and literally thousands <laughs> of people lost their jobs. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, but so here's where it gets interesting. So in 2015, Marty Nesbitt decides to buy a house 
in Hawaii. Okay. And it actually happens to be the Magnum PI house. If oh. you remember the show Higgins lived in that, you know, cool house right on the water. I prefer Mag- to refer to him as Robin Masters myself. <laughs> he would Magnum would go swimming in the ocean. That's the house that Marty Nesbitt bought. And when he bought it, he said, I'm buying this alone. There's no there was all the speculation Obama was bought. I'm buying this alone. Nobody else is going to have any, you know, access or or involvement on this property. Well, lo and behold, he buys it and he immediately files to to um, divide the property so they can build a second home. And we all wonder who's going to get that second home, right? The other thing that he does is he says he wants to build this massive seawall uh, to protect uh, the view, to protect the, uh, the the shoreline. The problem there, of course, is it was going to have a massive effect on all the neighbors. There was a big fight about it. But this is a place that Marty Nesbitt goes, and this is a place that Barack Obama now goes in Hawaii. So he sets him up in a way with a vacation house. It's a nice little coda on the fact pattern, right? Yes. Obama becomes president with help in part because Marty Nesbitt helped raise a bunch of money for his campaign. Right. He becomes president. Uh, he creates new policies that dramatically lower the price of an industry Marty Nesbitt then buys. Right. He creates new policies, which then helps raise the value of the thing that Marty Nesbitt bought. So Nesbitt makes a ton of money. In return, Nesbitt buys a nice Hawaii house for Obama. Right. Exactly. So you got the you got the Hawaii House, and then you've got the other big favor that Marty Nesbitt does uh, for Barack Obama, which is he decides to become the chairman of the Obama Foundation, which is going to raise the money for the Obama Center. And that's why we are talking about this today. And this shows the sort of, you know, insidious nature um, of these kinds of influence networks in Washington, D.C. They're corrupt. They use government power to punish uh, people they don't like or they don't agree with. They use that power to help their friends. And as we're dissecting this. Oh, uh, nice. Well, that's called a callback, Peter Schweitzer. Call, that's called a callback. Very good. Uh, as we're dissecting this, you see how sort of messy and ugly this often looks. But the influence game is not just limited. You know, Barack Obama's out of office. Marty Nesbitt's best friend is no longer president. Those relationships remain because now we have Joe Biden, who is vice president to Barack Obama, is in power. And Marty Nesbitt's got some uh, things potentially working there, too. Well, you know, he still is on the board, I think maybe chairman of the board, but still uh, is the CEO of Vistria. They still own the company that owns University of Phoenix. And so lo and behold, University of Phoenix, like other educational institutions, has had a hard time during COVID. And so the Biden administration says they want to double the amount of Pell Grants offered, which would mean $3.4 million uh, for the University of Phoenix, right? Which would give them a bit of financial relief. Well, yeah, they got $3.4 million from the the, uh, COVID relief bill. Yeah, the Pell Grant doubling, you know, who knows? That would be huge, huge sums of money. Um, And the other thing that's interesting to watch is um, the guy that is now the deputy secretary of the U.S. Treasury Department is a guy named Wally Adameo, um, and he worked for Marty Nesbitt at the Obama Foundation. He's now the, the, the senior ranking guy in the Treasury Department who's going to have all kinds of regulatory strings to pull. So it's going to be interesting to see which industry Vistria goes into next. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably going to be related to some regulatory action carried out by the Biden Treasury Department. Well, I think you're right, because remember the Vistria Prospectus, when it was for, when they first were announced as a company, they said that their specialty was going to go into heavily regulated industries. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so I think you're right. Yeah, most guys that go into business <laughs> say, I'm going to stay away from heavily regulated industries because it's unpredictable. But if you are best friends with the chief regulator, yep. Barack Obama at the time, and now you have relationships with the new chief regulator, that's a great business uh, to be in. So 
The question, I guess, Eric, that I would ask you is, um, you know, how bad do you think this is? I think it's pretty awful because it's not the typical back scratching. There are people that lost their businesses. There are people that lost their jobs. There are people that lost money because they invested in companies that were destroyed and then transferred to somebody else. To me, this is one of the most horrible stories. It's not just typical back scratching in Washington, D.C. Yeah, what I think is the worst part about it, yeah. and this is one of the reasons why we're talking about it, is that for all the coverage that the the groundbreaking for the Obama Foundation, the Obama Center got. I mean, Barack Obama was on Good Morning America, right? And you saw oh, these yeah. fawning, yeah. oh, the, the words from the speech are going to be wrapped around, oh, it's right. going to be a kitchen, <laughs> oh, it's a garden, <laughs> right? It will be a place of racial harmony. Yeah. Uh, there was no mention whatsoever of this, I think, very compelling, very simple and accessible fact pattern. Yeah. No mention of the Martinez, but he's a very low-profile guy, yep. generally speaking, considering the role he's played in Obama's life. And so I I think the worst part about it is the fact that this has been a totally story that's ignored and doesn't get any coverage whatsoever. That's exactly right. And and it shows you uh, how truly awful corruption is. A lot of times people will say, yeah, there's corruption in Washington, D.C., so what big deal? Corruption actually uh, hurts people. It hurts lives. When you use the cudgel of the federal government mm. to profit your friends, it destroys lives. So that's the first lesson that I think we need to take. And the second one is just because the media is not reporting something doesn't mean it's not going on. Right. right? Uh, and that I think is, is one of the other things we have to keep in mind. It, and it, it really frustrates me when people say, Oh, the Obama administration was scandal free. <laughs> uh, certainly there were a lot of scandals reported, but there were a lot of them that weren't. He and wore this is a one of, he wore a tan suit, Peter. <laughs> Don't you remember the no drama Obama? He was an adult. The adults were in charge. That's right. No scandals. That's right. No scandals. Well, this is Peter Schweitzer, and I've been joined, as always, uh, by Eric Eggers on The Drill Down. Uh, we appreciate you joining us on this podcast. I learned a lot today. I especially appreciate your idea of doing a book signing at the Chicago Public Library branch at the Obama Center in Chicago. I think that's genius. It will be hilarious if we go visit and just like see, even if they don't actually have any books, we'll just leave one there. Yeah, or ask a friend to to uh, to order them, special order right, them from that right. branch. I think that's a great idea. But thank you so much for joining us. Us on the drill down if you're interested in listening to us more uh, you can go to the drilldown.com thanks a lot <laughs>